0: A quick warning that this episode contains some strong language. So the first time I died, I was 13, uh, running on a treadmill.
1: I'm Nora McNerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. I have never died. I don't Do people still say YOLO? <laughs> I just wish we were still saying that. OK. You only live Once. And when we were saying that, and we all were, I don't care if you think you're too cool for it now, I obviously am not. When we were saying it, we were saying it to mean like, Carpe Diem, basically. I will put this on my credit card. You know what? Yeah, today I'm ordering a blooming onion. That's what we meant. But today's episode is not about YOLO in any of those senses because Leilani, whose voice you just heard, She's done more than yellow. (laughs) Can you define death? What what does it mean to die? Mm.
0: That's tricky. Okay, I'm going to define death the way that organ donation defines death, um, which is when there's no
1: brain activity. I can't say that Leilani peaked at 13 because she seems like a pretty cool adult, but also up until 13, her life was pretty good.
0: Yeah, I I had like up until that point played all of the sports, like literally every sport there was. I had tried at a certain point. And then I had just come back from this trip to like rural Mexico, middle of nowhere, and Was in my parents' house and was like running on a treadmill as I did every Monday. And the deal in my house was you could do that and then you'd be able to watch Seventh Heaven because we had a TV in the garage.
1: Um, I feel like a Facebook meme saying this, but this is something that only millennials will truly get. Watching Seventh Heaven as a treat. Seventh Heaven used to be something we watched unironically And as a little treat to ourselves, that's what Leilani is doing. She's running on the treadmill, watching 7th Heaven, having a beautiful middle school life, and then she isn't. She isn't watching 7th Heaven, and she isn't living. Leilani's mom hears this weird sound in the garage, and the weird sound is her daughter falling off the treadmill. Leilani was a 13-year-old girl who had a cardiac arrest. And then she was revived and told that her life was never going to be the way that she had imagined it would be. I have a vivid memory of everything
0: being white because the white room, the white sheets, etc. And I remember when I asked him, like the second that I was like, Dad, what's going on? I knew that I had asked it before, but I still didn't know what the answer to that was. So I my diagnosis was is kind of um, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy which is like the left ventricle is too big, so it beats too quickly. Mm -hmm. And so most often that's diagnosed um, post-mortem. The first time I remember it being like really explained and hearing that I couldn't do any of the things that I had done before was um, my pediatric cardiologist because I remember sitting in clinic with him and I had made a list and I was like, can I windsurf? Can I kite surf? Can I go sailing? Can I do tennis? And like at that age it was, It was just so weird to me to hear, like, no competitive sports, no playing a sport that could, like, damage the defibrillator. Um, And so I was, like, trying to find
1: a loophole, I guess.
0: The second time
1: I died, I was 14, running on asphalt. This is why people don't run. This is why. There is no loophole, it turns out. Leilani follows the instructions. After that, and she takes it slow.:
0: I remember being sad that I couldn't do all those things. Um, my other like love during that time had been theater. So I figured, OK, I can still do that. Like I'm still like I can still sing, I can
1: still act. Now, this is middle school, so her life-threatening heart issue also makes her kind of cool. You know, she's the girl with the robot heart also known as a defibrillator, which was incredibly hard for me to say. She's the girl who doesn't have to do all that other dumb stuff that the regular kids have to do in gym class until one day when they have a substitute gym teacher. And of course, this substitute has no idea why a perfectly healthy-looking girl is just standing around like a bozo. So this teacher, hold on, let me do my acting skills. This teacher is like, Hey! Leilani! What are you doing? Whistle sound. Get out there. The relay race. You're up. Look alive. Now, is Leilani supposed to run? No, but it's just a couple laps in gym class. It's not like it's going to kill her. Except it does. It does. Her heart freaks out and she dies again. And I have no idea what happened to that substitute P.E. teacher, but I hope they know... That was their fault. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. They are probably terribly traumatized and never taught again. A couple more years pass, and Leilani gets really into theater. She knows that she can't be active, which is hard in California. Like, she asked her doctor about kite serving. What? But she lives with it for a while until she dies again on a walk with some friends. <laughs> The third time I died, I was climbing up a, um, a hill of dirt. She wasn't even running. And she wasn't running a few years later either.
0: The fourth time I died, I was walking down 2nd Avenue and 7th Street
1: in New York City. She woke up on the street and she thought, huh, that paramedic is pretty cute. That's a different story though. More years pass. And Leilani gets a job at a tech company in Northern California doing account troubleshooting with customers, and she becomes a grown-up who hasn't died in a long time. But she's still a grown-up who has a heart condition and a grown-up who has to see her doctors regularly, but just for check-ins.
0: They'd been telling me, because I had done stress tests like every six months for the past, like, four years before that. And at one point in there, my cardiologist had said, like, you know, statistically or i guess data wise you have the heart of an 80 year old woman
1: um but i was like you didn't mean that in a way like you love collecting plates (laughs) (laughs) no not quite (laughs) he just meant
0: he meant that like physiologically your heart is like very weak but i took that and maybe that was just my naivety at the time i took that to mean like oh, fun fact, but like, look, I'm going on this five-week vacation to Europe and I have a job at,
1: like, this really great company, so. Mm -hmm. And also, like, a lot of 80-year-olds are very cool. Yeah. And they seem like they're doing great. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. That's fine. But Leilani wasn't doing great and it wasn't fine. And one day, at what she assumed would just be a regular check-in, the reality of all that sets in really hard. So when the doctor comes in, Mm -hmm. um, what does she say? Um, So it's a he, but nice assumption. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he
0: comes in and, you know, I think actually it's important to say that we were in a room that we weren't normally in, which is always like looking back like as a theater film person it should have been like the dun 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 like <laughs> I should have known. But we're we're in this room with like a big office desk. And so he's sitting on the other side of the desk and he's like holding out papers. Um, and he basically says like, you know, based on your last stress test and how you've reported to us that you've been feeling, we think it's it's time to start talking about listing you for transplant. which in my memory was pretty
1: much the first time I'd heard that. Leilani had lived her life around this heart condition. That was why she gave up sports. It's why she got into acting. And she spent a lot of time with her doctors, but she still never felt like she was a sick person, you know? She never felt like a person who was going to need another heart. I'd never considered myself a sick kid or
0: someone who had a chronic illness. I thought I just, like had this wonky heart condition that's, like, part of my personality. My parents had never treated me any different. I genuinely felt growing up like I was the only person who had this, who was this young. And so at this point, I was, like, trying to find support. And almost everyone I found who was a heart transplant survivor was, like, 55 and up.
1: So what did it actually mean for Leilani to be listed for a transplant? Is it just like they type your name into an Excel spreadsheet? No, there is an actual list of people who need new hearts, and she was on that. I don't know what program they use to keep it. But she also has to get a bunch of testing done, physical and psychological, and then she just waited for someone to die. Because when you need a new heart, it means that someone else doesn't need theirs. And when a heart becomes available, a whole panel of medical experts immediately look at the list and they consider four things. One, blood type. For Leilani, her blood type is super rare. So, you know, that list of hearts is gonna be smaller, right? Okay, two, they're looking at your body size. Not in an inappropriate way, it's just that you are more likely to have a good heart match with somebody who is your height and your weight and whose body is similar to yours because, you know, that heart's gotta fit in your body. So, can you put a baby heart in my body? Probably not a good idea. Could you put my heart in a baby body? Three, back to the list. Antibody matching. And that makes sure that the body doesn't attack the organ when it is put in. Four need, Leilani's need was big. There were no other options other than a transplant, and it needed to happen soon. So to recap, for Leilani, the ideal donor is going to be someone of her gender, around her age, exactly her height and weight, with her blood type, with matching antibodies, who died nearby to her hospital, who wants to be a donor, and has a perfectly functioning heart. I I just,
0: I kind of, I don't know, I perceived it would be someone
1: like me. Which means, that's such a strange thing. Being young and being on a transplant list means hoping for a heart that is also 24 years old, like Leilani is. It means hoping that someone your age dies who has the right heart for you, whose healthy heart could help you live longer. It means hoping that you are near the top of the list, which means that you're in more immediate need of an organ, so you're kind of hoping that you're closer to death or not doing well. Every day, 22 people on the transplant list die. So you want to be close to the top that you get an organ, but not stay there for too long because you might die waiting. And if you're at the top, that means someone else is going to have to wait longer. And these are all new thoughts for Leilani. Being on the list is not just being on a paper list in an office somewhere. It means constantly being ready to drop everything and run if you get the call. The call means they have the right heart for you. And if you can't get there, someone else gets the heart. They move on to someone else on that list, especially with hearts, more than other organs. There are literally only a few hours that the team can keep the heart alive and find someone who can accept it. So there's a lot at stake here. But most places across the country, it's not
0: like the Grey's Anatomy pager. They call your cell phone and they tell you it can come from any phone number because it's going to be a resident or a fellow calling you Mm -hmm. telling you that you have heart so you have to pick up every single call you get so that was kind of awful having to answer phone calls from customers and then also make sure that my phone was on full volume Mm -hmm. and you know be able to say like oh hey sorry i'm gonna put you on a brief hold so that i can answer the phone anticipating someone to say you need to drop everything and get here yeah um It was morbid, but like it was the rainy season and, you know, every time there was a fatal car crash in the area, like,
1: that was the first thing that popped to mind was like, oh, am I about to get the call? Four months later, Leilani is several hours up north at a cabin with her family and her phone rings. She's young, no big deal, except it is a big deal. It's the call. And I I go to pick it up and I just...
0: You know, had that sort of feeling like your life is pausing, like the movie's pausing for a second. Um, and I pick it up and I knew I'd been told to expect a guy with a very thick Japanese accent. And the second I picked it up and he said, hello, I knew that's what it was. But he didn't say it right away. He was like, hello, I'm Dr. So-and-so. I'm calling from this center of heart failure and blah blah. I was like, just say it. <laughs> I was like, just get to the point. Um, and he said, you know, I need you here in three hours. It, it just kind of felt like time stopped and also sped up, um, coming down the stairs and my mom was washing dishes and I, it was like kind of being in a dream where you can't speak. Like I croaked it out. I was like, mom, like we have to go. Um, and it took her a second, you know, she, she turns off the sink. She's like, what did you say? I was like, that this is the call. We, we have to go. And she was like, oh my God. You know, she runs towards me. I had, not collapsed, but kind of had just sat down on the stairs and let out this like kind of primal cry it was It was just like something I didn't know I could sound I could make and then then I stood back up and I was like, "Okay, we have to go, and I just went into problem solving mode because we were so far away, and um <laughs> my dad was burning a bunch of leaves in the backyard because we'd been clearing for fire safety, so he literally had to put out a fire. <laughs> order for me to get my heart. Um
1: this is honestly I'm getting stressed. I'm like, you gotta get in the fucking car. Exactly. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like it felt like yeah. What
1: the, yeah. Yeah. The first person I had always said I was
0: gonna call was that nurse. And I call her and she picks up and I'd never heard her voice like that before and she was like, Hi. she she goes, I know. And um I was like, is is this it? Is this real? Because with organs you can often have there's a lot of things that can fail before you end up actually getting the organ so you can have what's called a dry run and that can happen at any stage. So you can get the call, they can call you back five minutes later and say no, you can get the call, you can go all the way to the hospital, be under and then not get the organ and it's still called a dry run. So at that point I felt like it wasn't real. Um, so I called her and I called my therapist <laughs> and then we got in the car and the one person that like I desperately needed to talk to was my cardiologist because the weird thing is that when you go through a transplant, you see an entirely different team who specializes in immunosuppression and all the therapies that go along with it. And I needed, I really needed him to tell me it was a good match. Um, he was on a plane. And we're driving and there's like about an hour on this drive back where there's no reception. Um, so I'm like waiting till we get to the top of hills and, and texting and Finally, I get on the phone with him while he's, like, in a layover, and I'm, like, desperately wanting him to say it's a great match. And he was, I mean, a professional and just saying, like, this is a good match. I think this is going to be the one for you. And then I heard from from another cardiologist and
1: basically was just trying to connect with anyone I could. Driving through the California countryside, speeding towards the hospital but not speeding too fast— Leilani sent a text to one of her medical team members and asked something that she knew she wasn't supposed to ask. You know,
0: I respect you professionally. I get that you can't tell me anything, but please just tell me the age. And, you know, and that's when I had seen the response of, of, you know, middle age. and, And I was like, oh. Well, I teased that out a little bit further and... You know, they said 30s to 40s. I was like, oh, okay, mid,
1: mid-30s, that's still older than me, but, you know. The family arrived at the hospital in time, and the medical team assembled, and Leilani was put under. And this was not going to be a dry run. Her doctors worked through the night. They spent six hours in surgery, which feels like a shockingly short amount of time for something so metaphorically significant and also, I mean, significant. They're taking out your heart and putting another one in. But everything looked good. Leilani had a new heart. The transplant surgery is over, and she's starting her first day with a brand new heart. I. I have like snippets of memory waking up.
0: I remember waking up intubated um, and waving at a family friend who had shown up. I remember sitting in a chair and throwing up. They'd given me some Oxycontin and I threw it up. And then the next thing I remember, I was coding. What does that mean? The donor heart um, dropped to 20 beats per minute and then 10 beats per minute. So, they had to do manual CPR in the ICU. And then they had to bring me back into the OR. The fifth time I died was the day after my transplant.
1: Okay, wait, what? And we'll be right back. And we're back. Leilani got a new heart, and then she died again. I just... I'm not okay with that. The tension feels like it should end once you get a new heart, right? Like, the will you or won't you live, that's over. You survived having a bad heart. You made it off the transplant list and onto the operating room table, and then off the table and into a room, and now you have a new heart. You shouldn't have to have a total of three major open-heart surgeries in 72 hours, but Leilani did have those surgeries because she had died again with her new heart. Eventually she did wake up again and it seemed like this new heart of hers was going to stabilize. But even if it wasn't actively trying to kill her, something just wasn't right. Something that a doctor can't really fix. Which is how that heart feels inside of her.
0: It it feels more like a device. I remember my like therapist visiting me in the ICU and being like, is it your heart? Um, And I was just like, well, no, like it's, it's not mine. And if she asked me that question today, it would still be, it's, it's not mine. So it's like wanting, like I really wish I could bond with it and, 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 you know, take comfort in the fact that like this thing is keeping me alive, but I'm more fearful of it than I am of of any other
1: emotion, I think. Do you miss your old heart, as troubled as it was? Yeah,
0: I do. I mean, the darn thing, you know, tried to kill me a couple times. But I felt like at at 24, I understood it. Like I knew what would trigger it. I knew how it felt when I would go on first dates, and I'd have to, you know, stop and breathe and take a second and not get too excited. I knew all that it had seen and and been through, and. Being an artist, it was it was something I used to center myself before performances. Um, yeah, and it, I mean, it made everything else work. I mean, it was something my parents gave me, you know. Yeah, you grew it.
1: Yeah. The discomfort is not just an emotional feeling. The year and a half after her transplant, Leilani went through a lot of heart-related complications.
0: Okay, in that year and a half, 45 days total in the hospital, three weeks in the ICU, four open hearts, um, 10 days on external life support, uh, pneumonia that actually killed off part of my lung, um, bone disease, which killed off part of my joints, uh,
1: severe type 2 diabetes, and maybe most significantly...
0: The sixth time I died, I was 25 years old. It was the one-year anniversary of my heart transplant, and I was up in
1: Sonoma sitting on a couch marking the occasion. Again? Again. A year to the day that she got her new heart. So you're saying I got this new heart and went through all that shit, and nothing has changed except that I'm still alive? Yes. Like they say, same shit, different heart. It's not like she thought that her doctors had put her through some crappy transplant experience just for fun, but a part of her thought, really? Was all this necessary? Was this really the best version of events? Because Leilani did have expectations for this heart. She had expectations that she wouldn't die the day after she got it or a year after. She had expectations for how it would connect her with more than just herself. You know, my hope in
0: all of this had been that it would enable me to to love all these new things. Um, you know, to connect with people and experiences that, that weren't open to me before. And, and that's when I do feel connected with this one. When I, like, do something that I'm like, this would not have been possible with how sick I was. Um, but those instances are more rare than... Than I had hoped for. I definitely went into it thinking, like, wow, I could, I could potentially have like a whole nother family. Like, not only with the donor family should they choose to connect with me, but also with the other people whose lives were saved. Like, like, how cool would it be if I, you know, run into someone
1: in, somehow and, and find out that they have the lungs, and they have the corneas, and then you're all together, and there's there's this is a rom com plot. Yeah, basically. The truth is Leilani didn't know anything about this heart or where it came from. It's not like she got a printout of the donor's Facebook page that listed all their interests and likes and dislikes and questionable takes on current events. And there are some privacy things, like no one's going to tell her who the donor is because ethics, HIPAA. But all the quote-unquote de-identified information on transplants is out there. It's on a website called the United Network for Organ Sharing. I like that name. It just sounds like it's in like a rideshare app, but for organs, like you could get them back. Organ swap. (laughs) It's a good idea. Don't steal that idea. Anyway, there's information there on that website, and the information is anonymous, but You could probably figure it out if you're a young woman with time on her hands and a few close friends. Two of my buddies and I,
0: like, it's almost embarrassing to admit, but we would just, like, scroll through obituaries for hours, you know, in California. And then we'd try to narrow it down to neighborhood. And if we had any inkling of, like, a last initial or a date of birth, you know, we just made use of the searching power of the Internet and... Okay, so what I thought I knew was that this was a woman in her mid-30s to 40s who was not local, who had suffered some kind of catastrophic injury that had left her brain dead, but had possibly, in the course of that accident, had also suffered a cardiac failure that had previously gone undiagnosed.
1: Leilani suspected that something was wrong with the heart. She knew that the heart was experiencing total heart block, which is a very bad, very serious thing. She had to have a pacemaker put in, but no one could explain why the heart block was happening in the first place. So maybe it was just cardiac failure? Leilani and her friends spend a lot of time on their sleuthing. They gather a bunch of information about her donor, thinking, Maybe if Leilani knew who the donor was, she would know why she isn't connected to this heart, or why the heart wasn't working properly, or she would just know something. Sometimes when you feel out of control, you just want to know something. One night, alone in her room, bathed in the glow of her laptop screen. And I'm literally, like, sitting
0: on the floor of my bedroom. Like, like a weirdo, like go sit at a table. I don't know, I'm just like sitting with like my back against the wall. It's probably like 11, maybe
1: midnight. And you know, I like haven't come out of my cave for like a while. In the database, there's information on all transplants in the U.S. And even though there are no names listed, she can find herself pretty easily. She enters all the information she knows to be true about herself as the recipient. Age, blood type, location, etc. She hits enter. There was a one. And that's how I knew it was me.
0: And then I did a different permutation and had like all the things I knew to be true um, layered with the donor stuff. And then there was another one
1: in the 50 to 56 bucket. Leilani is alone in her room and she's staring at a huge new piece of information about her donor, the age. Her donor was anywhere from 50 to 56 years old.
0: It was this, like, you know, bottom of the chest feeling of like knowing that I was right. And then realizing that what I had been told and what I had believed for the last year and a half was wrong. And then my next thought was oh, well, this explains a lot.
1: And then my next thought was oh, I'm going to die sooner. Leilani was 25. Her heart, she would find out, was actually 52. That's more than twice her age what was so painful was that line going through
0: my head over and over and over that night of, like, I had an 80-year-old heart and now I have a 52-year-old heart. Like, that's that's not better.
1: Um, not when you're 25. Right. <laughs> if you're 55, not, you're like, hey, I got the heart of a 52-year-old. Yeah. Not too shabby.
0: And not when you know that the average expectancy for a a transplant is 12 years for a heart so the thought that like i might not even live to be as old as my heart like that's
1: the sinking feeling that like makes me want to throw up and that's not all she found out the website also listed how her donor had died asthma attack had that damaged the heart Leilani also learned that the heart had traveled a longer way to get to her than she first knew, which means it was on ice and it was out of a body for longer, which can sometimes damage an organ. Was it in bad condition when it got to her because of how far it had to go? It, it was this like weird,
0: uncomfortable feeling of being vindicated, and so that felt good of like okay all of this health anxiety that I've had and and this feeling like something was off this whole time was was true and so in that moment it felt like I wanted to be angry at the people who told me that that this was okay The 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 people whose life I had literally placed in their hands and said you tell me when um and then my second feeling was like this utter guilt of of being angry with with the people that
1: I like cared about. Just because like you'd known them for so long? I mean, this is a big thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd known them for gosh, almost 10 years and it was it was more than just it's more than just like knowing knowing who your doctor is. I mean, I had you know, they'd They'd come to, like, my graduation celebrations and I'd I'd performed for and, and with them. Like, there's just something, like, on a creative, like, human level that, like, like, blurring lines or not was just, like, these people are in my life for good. Um, like, there's no, there's no extricating that. And it's like, it's,
1: it's family-ish, except mm-hmm. that. You know, it's also not because you could go to another doctor. Yeah. They could retire at any moment. Like, so it's this really intimate relationship that also is not as, like, ride or die as family, honestly. Um, Mm -hmm. But has, like, more intimacy, honestly, than probably a lot of your family members have with you. Because they've seen inside your body. Um, Yeah. They've been in there. They've been in there. And... How did you tell your team that you knew this, or did you? You know, I had texted some of them that night, and and someone yeah, Oh, just fire off some real knee-jerk text messages? Yep. Leilani is fired up, and she sets up a meeting with her care team, and the day comes, and she walks in, and confrontations in your head are so effective. You are articulate. You are righteous. Everyone sees your side. They're nodding. They agree with you. It is glorious. And reality is less satisfying and more real. I don't know if anything that that could have been said at
0: that moment would have made it better, but at one point, the person who, you know, had, had told me the age, you know, she just he was just almost in tears and like I wanted to go into that meeting and be like here's how I feel like here's how unbelievably angry and upset and betrayed and how unfair I feel like all of this is please like I don't know like acquiesce to that and and you know pander me if you need to and then we'll like close the book and
1: move on with our lives um what was the result of that conversation
0: Well, it was it was the first time I had um cried in front of, you know, my actual cardiologist and there had been times where I was on the wait list where, you know, it would, it'd been just me and him in his office and I had I'd held it back because I'd, I just I like didn't want to look weak or like I was letting The emotional weight of what was happening to me cloud my ability to think rationally like i I've just had this long standing thing of like i I need people to like to think that i'm I'm somehow like in the right mind and, and being logical. It probably was one of the most honest things I've ever said to someone who I've felt hurt by um I was like, okay well, could the age have contributed? To these complications and you know could the cause of death have contributed and you know just looking my current cardiologist in the eyes and him saying like I know why you're searching for this I can't tell you why any of this happened and I'm not sure it's going to change anything if we know um it was like like hearing someone like tell me like the biggest fear in all of it um was it like there's nothing there's nothing to be done
1: There's nothing to be done. It's so easy to look back and think, okay, I should have waited for another heart, a heart that was younger, a heart that was better, but that's assuming that there would be another heart, someone younger, someone better, someone who is perfect, or that there might have been another heart in time. The odds of it being someone... You know, in her mid-20s, who's a female, like, who's, you know, my height or, like, it's not very high. And saying no to an available heart is a very, very big deal. Before you're even listed for a heart transplant, you're given a psychological consult to see if you are prepared. If you turn down a heart that is offered to you for any reason besides something like cancer or the flu— you become inactive on the list. And if you want to be considered for another heart, you have to be reevaluated, retested, relisted. And those are big ramifications. And in that meeting, Leilani's cardiologist told her that he had known all of what she had just learned. He knew the age, he knew the distance traveled, he knew the cause of death. But for him, none of those had been red flags. People die of asthma attacks all the time, and there's nothing wrong with their heart. The heart arrived. It was transplanted within the time allotted. Her team had seen information about this new heart, and they all agreed this is a good choice. Yes, there have been problems since the transplant, but no one knows why. No one could have predicted those problems before the heart went in. So there's nothing to be done. They can't know the cause of her problems, and Knowing won't change Leilani's treatments, which actually makes sense to Leilani. Now that I found out more about their
0: like background and you know, cause of death and and all that stuff, I I do think about what they were like, but I almost don't let my brain go there because the guilt is too heavy to start thinking about, you know who loved that heart and who that heart loved. And yeah, had they been married? Had they been divorced? Had they been sick for a while? Was this sudden? Were they in the middle of something? Like, it's it's too much. Um, especially when I have to focus on the fact that I lost the piece of me that had all my firsts, many of my firsts anyway, um, and that had loved and, and hated and all those emotions it's, it's like too hard to, to grieve me and someone else at the same time.
1: Not like Leilani isn't grateful to be alive. She is. It's not like she isn't aware that someone died and gave her their heart. She is. It's just that this is more complicated than just swapping out a battery that's running out. Our hearts are important. Like there's such a
0: disconnect. Like every time like a yoga teacher tells me to like put my hand over my heart to like center myself, like I feel sad. I just I feel feel like oh that that doesn't that's not an option to me anymore like
1: that doesn't work. I wondered what happened to Leilani's original heart. I personally feel like you should be able to keep something they take out of you, but her heart was whisked away and tested. Four months after her transplant, though, she was reunited with that little old lady heart the one that had killed her over and over and over. The doctors had sliced it up and tested it and analyzed it, and there it was. They brought her into a lab, and they put her heart in her hands.
0: It was cathartic because I could see the scarring. Like, I could see where the muscle tissue had died. And that really ingrained in me, like, I couldn't have kept going with this one which was not something I had believed
1: beforehand at all medically yes of course hearts are important but they're not just an organ your heart symbolizes so much we don't typically pass out cards with lungs on them nobody writes poems about your spleen update we were wrong about spleen poetry. Hans and I fact-checked this episode. We looked it up. There's, there's spleen poetry. It's out there. It's mostly from the Victorian era. It seems to have fallen out of fashion, and we can't imagine why. The heart, though, as enticing as a spleen is, the heart is where it's at. It tells us so much about ourselves. It skips a beat when we're falling in love. It races when we're scared. It holds our secrets and our hopes, and please... Do not message me if you're a medical professional. I don't care what your books say about the function of our hearts. I know it's just a sponge that holds my feelings. We all know that there's more to connection and belonging than just possession. Leilani's heart is gone. It's maybe in some sort of... fridge? I don't know where where would you keep it. Maybe they incinerated it? This new heart is inside of her, but it still isn't hers it's doing one part of a heart's job it's keeping her alive and at least for now that's about all it's going to do for her I'm Nora McInerney. This has been terrible. Thanks for asking. Our senior producer is Hans Buto. Hannah Mika. I almost said Hannah McInerney. Her name's not even Hannah. But I said Hans, and then I said Hannah. Hannah McInerney, (laughs) who I parent. Hannah Mika Gross. Hannah McInerney has a ring to it. Apologies to her husband, Jesse. (laughs) And my husband. But Hannah's wonderful. She's not married to me, nor is she named Hannah Hannah Meekock-Ross is our project manager, and we really adore her. Curtis Gilbert, can I have a moment? Curtis Gilbert is so great. It's not his job to listen to TTFA first drafts and give us really thoughtful, wonderful feedback and make this show better, but he does it anyway. He does it, even though he's got a full-time job of his own, and... Um, I don't know. Hans, do you have anything you want to say about Curtis? You just want to nod? Just so you know, Curtis, if you listen to this episode, um, Hans is nodding, but he's not really adding anything to the conversation. So let just so just let the record show who's the true Curtis Gilbert fan in this room. It's me. Our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson, and we are a production of APM American Public Media.